Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, part two of Modern Data Governance with special guest Matt Carroll, CEO of Amuda. Now, you did mention something I want to I key on a little bit more. Does Immuta do classification of data then too? Because you guys, yep. you can go out and say, hey, here are all my data sources that I need you to govern, right? Um, and you, you're going to actually go out and tag them with, is, is, am I, did I hear that right? Right, correct. So hold on. So let me just take a step back. So let's get back to not just the Muta, but just modern data governance. Okay, right? gotcha. Okay. About, let's think about, so yes, we do in Immuta classify data. Um, we do sensitive data discovery, but going like, let's level this up. So it's not a sales pitch, but like, right. so at a, the thing you got to think about is this, the first premise is you have to separate policy from platform, right? Separate right. the policy it. engine from that compute layer. The second is though, is there can be no ontology. If anyone tries to create a super schema of everything, it's impossible, but you need a schema to apply policy, right? Yeah, yeah, go, yeah, you do, right? This user wants to join these two columns and, right, you got to have a new policy, right? So, yes, you have to have a sensitive data discovery. You got to know a couple things about the metadata, right? So I need to know, is it sensitive data or not? Directly. So we call it direct identifier. But you need to know another thing, which is actually even harder. Is it an indirect identifier? So meaning like this, we use an example. I say, um, I'm sure someone you've worked with and you, and either now or previously was really, really tall, like super tall. Um, maybe let's just say it's seven foot two, you know? Um, and all of a sudden now, like if you have height in there, it probably wouldn't be a big deal, right? For the most part of the company, except for that one person that's seven foot two, all of a sudden that is a clear indirect identifier. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Super easy to identify who that person is and wherever that exists, like that, that allows me to then connect the data and the dots. So that's what we call a link attack, right? So it's not just about discovering what is PI or sensitive data. It's about indirect identifiers and finding those little nuggets and saying, gosh, um, we need to, anywhere where that indirect identifier lies, there's a risk and you need to apply techniques. And so that, that comes to the third part. So first part, separate policy compute. That's a policy engine data design process. Second is sensitive data discovery, looking for direct and indirect identifiers in the data. The third is, is the introduction of a series of privacy enhancing techniques, masking, redaction, canonization, differential privacy. The way I try to explain it to people is this, you don't need to understand the math underneath the covers. We got to understand is like the way I look at it is like Adobe used to be Jask, like old school, remember like removing red eye out of an eye. Like you'd have to be a wizard to figure out how to like know how to remove red eye, right? Right, yeah, now. Nowadays you click the button. Like button, yeah. right? Like go to Lightroom and I just click it, it's gone, it's magically gone and now my eyes look beautiful, right? right. Um, it's the same thing in privacy. We, we kind of need that like easy button to like automatically say, hey, there's potentially an indirect identifier where there's uh, greater than, than very low risk of re-identification. Um, and so these are the tools that need to come as, as automation as part of modern data governance, right? We can't expect 
any user to be able to understand, oh, if I combine these things that could possibly be there, we have to automate that. You have to automate that. Gotcha. So that brings up an interesting point. Just privacy automation is one thing, but there's going to be a myriad of other things that I want to do with my data Mm -hmm. automatically before I classify it. So aren't you guys kind of delving into maybe some of those data workflows or or how, how do you guys not move how, how do you separate that, I guess? Did, uh, we, does that make sense? Yeah. It's got to be yeah. tough. Oh, it's super tough. And we got to stay focused, right? So like the extract and load, so that the, we, we've gone from ETL to ELT now, right? Yeah, yeah. Very modern, you know, and, and so, but we want to be that G at the end, right? We don't want to be the, the T. I don't want to transform stuff. I don't want to get in that game. Um, I don't have, I can't raise enough money to complete that game. <laughs> uh, I got some big boys in there. Yeah. Um, but what we want to do is, is be that dash G. So ELT dash G. We, we, so we have like a command line interface now for engineers who are building these pipelines and doing those things that are a bit so more So they can, I like They that. can do their thing and we'll just say, hey, you know what? Like check in with us and we'll tell you the rules. Did the rules update? That could be part of your pipeline. And so if you're in DBT right now, we can hook data governance into your in, into your workspace as you're built, you know, you have this pipeline built. You can check in with us. And we'll then update the governance and keep you in check. Um, so we want to kind of be a conduit to that layer, um, you know. But we don't want to be that layer. You know, I, I I love how you you've thought through that because that could be a dangerous place to, to be, right? Oh, I'm I'm a governance. You know, Immuta is about data governance, and all of a sudden now you're doing data transformation as well, and yeah, you're defocused. I've identified some roles, some new roles. One is a data steward role and, and also a data governance engineer, mm -hmm. for no better term. And I, I like how you guys have kind of segregated those roles from listening to you. you guys already know what those roles are and they're segregated from your, your data engineer. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at like your governors and your data engineers and then your data users are very three separate users with three separate needs. Um, and you have to treat them differently. The part of the user experience, right? Like um, having worked with many data scientists in, in my, my previous life, um, let's just say they're prima donnas in general. Um, <laughs> they get one of every tool. I'm sorry for all the data scientists that listen to the show. Matt's email is no, I'm not good. <laughs> but they, I mean, and it's fine. It's I, I get it. It's like the way I look at it is like this: is if I, you know, let's say special forces, you bring the weapon you need to accomplish. Yeah, this, I, right? No, I get it. I, I get what yeah. you mean. They have yeah. very specialized skills. Yeah. Right, and they want data a specific way, and they expect it to be there so that they can do what they're paid to do. I mean, that makes sense. Right. So you can't interrupt their flow, right? Sometimes they need a certain tool. Sometimes they need to do certain things. Um, and so, you know, some cases they need specific compute environments somewhere in the world with specific tools to do what they need to do to accomplish the mission. Totally acceptable. On the other hand, you get data engineers and analytic engineers, again, separate. Yeah, separate. One yep. building the pipelines, one are sustaining the pipelines, right? And if something breaks, Oh man, you know, like everything's bad, right? So it's that you've got that that bucket of data engineering and data ops, 
where those users need to be able to quickly get access to data, merge it, feed it into a pipeline, deliver it to someone, and then check to make sure it's up to date, right? And then you have your governors who are just trying to keep up with regulations, right? Very different views and different needs around governance, right? So the, the most important thing is the way I always tell people is this is um, you have to, if you're applying a new governance uh, mentality or uh, campaign in your organization, it's you have to start treating each of those groups as separate um, stakeholders, if you will. And no, that, that, that makes sense to me. And, and most organizations don't. They go, no. oh, you're, that's all data engineer work. Yeah. It's right. very binary. And if you, if you think of it like that, what ends up happening is, because again, the, the, the challenge that we're trying to, to avoid is meetings, right? The way this is done now is via meetings, right? And the problem is, is so you need to create a symbiotic relationship between these entities. The way I always try to think about it is, is think about it like this, whether you love or hate Salesforce, Salesforce is an incredible system of record for, um, for, for sales operations, right? I get an opportunity, it comes in, uh, you know, sales has their thing, marketing has their thing, you know, and then finance has their thing. So, you, you know, marketing sends ads to them, sales closes the deal, finance approves the deal. There's a whole workflow and a meeting didn't have to happen to move it through the sales phone, right? Um, you know, service now, same thing, yeah. you know, the line of business wants to buy a tool, they send it in their IT, make sure they're not buying, you know, the third same of the tool, and then finance allows the purchase and it goes through the ticket to install it. In data, we have to create a symbiotic relationship between data operations, data science and data analytics and governance. And each have to have their play in the cycle without having to actually physically meet. Otherwise you won't scale. No, no, th this is very, this is actually e exactly what we need to push more of in, in, in the industry um, because it's not, it's not separated and it's a big garbled mess right now. Um, you're what you're really, to me, what you're really talking about is the emergence of data ops. Um, and yeah. the beginnings of real, not, not I own the pipeline. No, we're talking about real data ops, um, uh, which I, I, I think is uh, brilliant, frankly. Now, I want to I wanted touch on just uh, one more thing. It has to do with um, role-based and attribute-based access mm -hmm. um, and, and rule, I guess, rule policy enforcement. Um, because you kind of touched on that just a little bit with the Cummings um, mm -hmm. example. Can you can you kind of delineate between the difference and why you would choose like, because you guys are more attribute-based than role-based, um, correct? We are, or philosophically, uh -huh. we are uh, definitely an attribute-based approach. Um, again, coming from the intelligence community, coming from that world, you know, that's everything we lived with, you know, it was, hey, I like you, but do you have a real need to know about this right now? If you've been read into this program, et cetera, right? Um, can we support our back and more coarse-grained controls? Absolutely. Um, can we support purpose-based controls? Absolutely. I, the, our philosophy, so one is, is, is when you think about role-based, the problem is, is you get a lot of bloat, right? And yeah. what you end up happening is you just keep adding role, role, role. And, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be the LDAP or Active Directory Administrator in that organization, right? Because 
you just keep adding. And you know, what's interesting is I, I recently learned this um, in the pharmaceutical industry, because you have to have reproducibility of a lot of your drug trials, right? So, so some of these are like, you have complex algorithms that are proving how narcotics are built and the binding areas and all that stuff. They can never delete roles. Oh, because they, because that makes sense, right? User. Because they have to have it for like, yeah, that user was here 20 years ago or 10 years or whatever it was. But um, at that time, this was the role. This is the user. This is how they ran the test. It's like a double or triple blind study. Yeah. They use these algorithms. Yeah, yeah, that makes they sense. Never delete it, right? So if think about like, all right, in this data, I'm having to write, you know, hundreds of rules around this role. And we, this organization had over 800,000 roles. Oh, Right. Oh, how do you, yeah. How do you manage? So, so here's the thing is, is like, so we go in to set this thing up. Right. And we're like, okay, how long is just the user sync going to take? So, because oh, you, yeah. you don't just have to sync the users, which is over a hundred thousand users. Right. Then you have to, to sync all the roles and then you have to go through all the combinatorial factors across. Let's just, I can't talk about exactly how many data sources, but tens of thousands of data sources. Yeah. That's yeah. That's going to take, Weeks. Infinite. It'll never finish. Yeah, it'll never finish. Yeah. So, so now there's ways to where you can get very creative and custom to make that job finish just to sync the rules, just so you can apply policy. But the point is role bloat becomes a scale problem very quickly. So how do you combat that because so, i mean i what if i do have very complex situations where i could get roll bloat so what's the counter to that so in, in attribute based access that the, the key is this is that um you're not adding many 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 roles all the time right each user has very specific attributes and once they have that attribute you can the, the policy can be pretty complex but it's specifically calling out attributes and people can have consistent attributes. So what we typically find is, is in, in attribute-based access controls, right? Say, hey, Darren, who you know um, it has been certified on this, he's working in this, you know, um, you know geography. This purpose or geography or whatever, and he has all these attributes tied to this identity, right? Versus you belong, this, this identity belongs to all these groups and we keep adding groups and different roles. Well, of all the permutations of all the attributes that I could yeah, have. Yeah, yeah we, I got it. We apply those attributes to the person. It's one rule and it's like, hey, he can see everything in this state because he's got a tag, let's say Massachusetts, um, in his state. So we don't need to state 50 states. We just say he can see everything in his state. Yeah. Right. And then we look at the attribute of state and yours is Massachusetts. You can see it or not see it. Right. So whereas in role-based access, you have to write out every state, you know, like he can see Massachusetts. He can't see Hawaii. Can't see California. Can't see this. Can't see that. Right. Right. So it's going, it's focusing on the identity and because modern identity management has, has, has gotten really good. It's very scalable. Um, attribute-based access, it simplifies the number of policies we have to write. And it's also uh, performant at this point. Um, however, the one caveat I would say to all this is it, modern, reg, modern global regulations like the GDPR require purpose. And it's really important. So this is where also attribute-based access becomes important is because I need to attest 
right? So this is a legal argument that I am in under the state I'm working on the data, I'm operating under this purpose. So I need to know a lot about that identity. Say, okay, what purposes can that person operate under, right? So in the government, it's title authority. I'm title 10, title 32, title 50. Um, you know, for those viewers who don't know that, you can look it up, but there's some pretty big deal stuff here, like going to jail for 20 years type stuff if you screw it up. So, um, and I, you know, for those who like, you know, worked in the intelligence community, that was always scary stuff for us. I mean, I, I can't go all the details, but there was like scary red buttons that like, don't press this button unless it's like a really big deal um, because it could potentially be a US person or a 5 I community member, right? And that piece of data. And so, but when you think about the GDPR, what they're asking is this, hey, that corporation, you had a EULA, you told the user, you're collecting this data for this reason and you got a good reason to do that. Hey, data scientist, data analyst, are you processing this data for that reason? If not, you need to do a risk analysis in flight before you operationally use that data for production. So I, I love this third element um, then to access, right? The purpose. Yeah. And I, I think that that really kind of, it, it, may, it helps me understand better the whole, per, the whole reason that we even have data governance now, right? Because before, just lock everything down, right? Um, yeah. But the purpose that when you come with a purpose on accessing the data that I, I like how that ties in, ties a nice bow on everything. But, but it adds this one quagmire, which is our future. And this is kind of like where data governance, we're at the beginning of modern data governance. The next stage of it is right now, the user has, it's a one-time binary decision on the data. I have consent. I'm either giving you consent or I'm not giving you right. consent. Right. Yeah. Right. The future is it's, it's somewhere in the middle. It's 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 limited consent. Um, it's the ability. I, I get you. So I can't see all the data. I can see some of it, yeah. or some of it's redacted. So it's just or... think of it like this. Like the best example I always give people is this. So I, I believe in a world because I, I unfortunately I tend to be pessimistic about things. Uh, you know, when when you live overseas in war zones for a while, you tend to assume things are not going to go great. Um, so, you know, like when I look at things as like an example is genomics. I give my data, my genomic data, 23andMe or Ancestry.com or what have you, right? right? And the question I ask myself is, did I have the legal right to give that to them? So my own DNA, because here's the thing, I got two kids. Guess what? I Half of it is theirs. <laughs> I get some bad stuff in there, man. I've done some stupid stuff, right? So, um, like now, let's just say twenty years down the road, they're like, "Hey, Dad, I'm going to sue you because you gave my data them. They gave my data to, let's just say, some insurance company, and now my insurance premiums went up because I'm I'm a higher risk for for let's just say heart disease because you handed that over. Now you didn't have the right to hand over my genetic material. That's intellectual property associated with me, right? So. Here's the thing, I see a world in modern data governance where the consumer is gonna have limited, they can provide limited consent. Hey, you can look at these chromosomes to, to give me some insights into where my ancestors are from. I'd love to hear about my Czech and Polish ancestors, right? But what you're not allowed to do is look at these other chromosomes by which you know I could potentially have you know negative uh, genetic mutations that could, it could impact my, my future or my progeny's future. I, I love, that's a great analogy because I can see that being applied across all different kinds of data. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, so, our future. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. I'm already starting to see some of it 
already in requirements and I'm scratching my head. Um, so, but, you know, like you said at the beginning, those are our lawyer friends that are, are coming up with some creative laws. Um, in fact, on my podcast, I actually had a lawyer come on and talk about data privacy uh, from the healthcare perspective. Mm-hmm. Completely blew my mind because um, data privacy is about you controlling how much data and who gets to see it as an individual. Um, and, um, it, it, it kind of turned my world upside down. Cause when I think of data privacy, I always think of, um, I, I control my data and, and no one gets to see it. Right. I will let them see it when I want them to see it. That's not exactly what it is. So it's a very fascinating topic. So, yeah. And, and the, the challenge is, as we, we govern data, we have to, there's, as we get to consent-based access to data, it's, it's all about, well, is it the raw data? Is it the derivative data? What's yeah, the- yeah, there's all this other right? stuff. Because as we're developing machine learning, that data needs to be embedded into the algorithm, right? So that's why our future has to be about consent-based approaches and purpose-based access is because ultimately it's not about the raw, it's about the derivative data sets that are driving our insights. And, and what are what is the liability of using that? And so modern data governance is starting, we're at the very nascent stages of setting up the global infrastructure to be able to support those use cases as we move forward. Oh, this is great. Matt, one quick pitch of Amuda. Where can people find out more or uh, hear more about what you guys have created um, uh, to help uh, fill this gap that's starting to emerge? Yeah, sure. I'm like the worst salesperson ever, but uh, I think my marketers would say go to Amuta, I-M-M-U-T-A.com, uh, learn a bit more about us. Um, and just our pitch is, is uh, twofold. One is, uh, listen, call us if, if you're moving to um, cloud compute infrastructure where you want to scale policy, you got lots of users, lots of data, um, and you want people to be able to combine that data and you got rules on it. Um, we're probably the best game in town around the world. Um, and uh, my second piece though is, is a non-sales pitch is, listen, build a data governance program, start to think about it and you know, build it into your programs. Um, this isn't going away and it's, it's, you got a lot of work ahead of you. Hey, again, Matt, thank you. Great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Darren. I really appreciate it as well. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.